Oh, hey. That's, this is Reading with Finest. That was my new intro. <laughs> Some jazz there. Skippity doop Um <clears throat> Yeah, this is Reading with Finest. Reading The Hungry Tigress, Buddhist Myths, Legends, and Jakita Tales. Follow me at Finest Does the Art. Illustrations. Yada. Whoa, dee, whoa, dee, whoa. All right. Let's jump into it today. Uh, the story is called Stilson's Leap. My commentaries and other commentaries afterwards. On a gray, on a gray, on a gray day, late in November 1941, a squadron of Spitfires was flying back. Spitfires? Yeah. Was flying back across the English Channel. The sky was low with few breaks in the clouds. They had broken up a formation of enemy bombers, while most of um, while most were low on fuel, and many of the planes were poked with bullet holes. If luck held, all would make it back safely to the base. Suddenly, flames leapt from the commanding officer's plane. The whirling propeller slowed, then froze, trailing dark. Smoke and damaged aircraft began hurtling toward the sea. See, I've, I've been reading this book, and it's been all ancient times. So when I heard Spitfires flying back, I you know, but this did, did say nineteen forty one, so I, I could have put that into it. But at first, I just was like, "What? What the fuck is a Spitfire? Is some type of animal I didn't know about?" But anyways, pay attention when you're reading. Nineteen forty one, November. <clears throat> Suddenly, okay, we'll go back on it. Fuck it. Suddenly, flames leapt from the commanding officer's plane. The whirling propeller, propeller slowed and froze, trailing dark smoke, and uh, the damaged aircraft began hurtling toward the sea. The cockpit canopy slid back, and the the cold tumbled out. His parachute opened, and the others circling watched him drift slowly down through the wind and silent toward the ocean, which splashed and foamed, uh, tilting, yawningly below. His burning plane, continuing its long smoking arch, hit the waves and quickly sank. The others saw him, too, hit the sea, sink, then supported by his life vest, raise up and swim away from the entangling parachute lines. He waved them off, but awkwardly as if in injured. Despite his signal, they continued circling, uh, though fuel was no, now dangerously low. They agreed to wait until he was in his life raft before they left. The, the, the raft never surfaced. Without it, he, he would never survive in that cold water until the rescue launch arrived. Uh-oh. Meanwhile, they radioed his position over and over. The acting squadron leader knew there was nothing more he could do. Peering through the Perspex canopy from the tiny cockpit, the heater going full blast, he flew down low, right over where the CO was struggling in the cold waves. I said co, but that's CO's CO, capital CO. All right. It was now his responsibility to bring the squadron home. Cursing the day, he gave the order that they all return to base. 
One pilot named Stilson ignored the order. Instead, he gained altitude. His plexiglass canopy was slid back. The graceful green and brown camouflage painted fighter plane arched green and brown cam oh arched okay over the over I'm just gonna read that one over again. <clears throat> His plexiglass canopy slid back. The graceful green and brown camouflage painted fighter plane arched over and Stilson tumbled out, falling free. His chute blossomed behind him. Then he too floated down towards the foaming sea. The sun broke through the clouds as his empty plane plunged into the sea a mile away, kicked up a long plume of rainbow spray that sank and was gone. The other saw Stilson float down and strike the choppy, glinting surface of the channel, sink, then come from the frothing up into the sunlight. They saw him cut loose from the, sh the shrouded lines and kick free of the bellowing, sinking chute. They saw his inflated raft pop up to the surface, saw him pull himself in the and paddle over to where the CO was, still struggling feebly in the bitter cold water. They saw him haul the CO into his own tiny raft. On their next pass, their they last saw, the other pilots saw both, on their next pass, their last, the other pilots saw both men bobbing in the tiny raft together. Then the clouds closed in again, obscuring all. The others all made it back safely, filled out their reports and waited. But no word came. In the morning, the sky was peaceful and clear, and they flew out over the bright blue, calm, sparkling sea. But no trace of either man was ever, ever found. The end. That was a good story. I, I'm, I'm going to guess that the, the writer, Rafi Martin, was uh, trying to flex his story writing in the new world. And he did a really good job. I thought it was a really good story. Um, yeah, it was like, hey, look, I know a way to save the captain with my boat. So I'm going to save him. Uh, if I wanted to be like all oh, Buddha, uh, I'm sure that that plane that he sacrificed that turned to like a colorful plume, which I'm sure was gasoline, killed a lot of beings or at least ruined their day and their habitat. So you save a CO, but at what cost? Let's read the commentaries of this boy. Stilson's Leap. The original story of mine, Stilson's Leap, and Digit are based on actual events. Stilson's Leap grew out of a reading I did years ago on the Battle of Britain. I cannot place the exact source of the, for this story. However, the story of an unnamed pilot's spontaneous self-sacrifice stayed with me. I began to see it in, in it something of what a, a Jaquita occurring today might look like. When viewed from the outside the tradition, Digit is a kind of modern animal Jaquita a contemporary version of the Monkey King in Eraser's Giacometala. See commentary for the monkey and the crocodile. And also see the monkey bridge in the bibliography. Each is also a kind of modern analog to the classic Jakarta, uh, the Hungry Tigress. Also a tale of profound sacrifice. In thinking about both these modern Jakitas, a statement in Oscar... Oh, shit. Wilds de prof uh, profundis comes to mind. The fatal errors of life are not due to man's 
being reasonable to unreasonable moment by moment may be one's finest moment. Okay, I'm gonna read that again. The fatal error, the fatal, the fatal, <clears throat> the fatal errors of life are not due to man's being reasonable. An unreasonable moment may be one's finest moment. They are due to man's being logical. All right. This is a profound universal element in certain Chiquitas, i.e. the classic tale of self-sacrifice that remains mysterious and inexplicable. Yeah. In this collection, see the lion, the elephant, and the merchant cries, uh, Jaquita and the commentary also, the hungry tigers, the banyan deer, the golden deer, the blue deer, the Jaquitas and their commentaries. Uh, uh, listener, you've heard a lot of these stories. I think I've read them to you. Uh, just repeating stuff, you know. In these Jaquitas, uh, Jaquitas, a spontaneous, overwhelmingly altruistic desire to aid others without taking thought for one's own welfare comes to the fore and is given literally literary shape. This selfless desire is clearly not elusive uh, to any one tradition, such as Buddhism, but permits all peoples, all cultures, all nation, all nations in time of crises and danger. It arises over and over, as has been well documented. Animals and humans both seem to share this extraordinary impulse. Though scientists have tried to explain such behavior as an evolutionary uh, derivative uh, safety dev uh, de de device, a clever stratagem of the uh, selfish gene through which the individual sacrifice ensures the continuant Continuity, continuity of the gene of the gene pool of the species. I think I've talked about that before. The continuity, whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> In the end, this is no more satisfactorily explains the matter than a spectral analyst explains the joy we feel upon seeing sunlight breaking through the clouds. Nor does it satisfactorily explain interspecies. Compa uh, compassions and self-sacrifice, dolphins coming to the aid of swimmers, dogs risking their own lives to save endangered humans, and so on. In the vision of the Jaquita animals and humans equally share the same fundamental heart mind of compassion. The same fundamental Buddha mind of non-separation, science and religion each have in our stories. At times, they align perfectly. At other times, they express two differing yet intertwined needs of the mind. One is the need to question and understand, the need to satisfy reason. Okay. The other rests with the interest of faith, not literalized belief in this or that dogma, which may often be the antithesis of real faith, but faith, is, faith in the unknown itself. A curiosity and respect for what may be forever unknowable, a condition of wonder. It's like uh, the soul and whatnot. What makes a true human? I've been, I've been watching the Full Metal Alchemist and you know how that went on. You know, the, the Full Metal Alchemist, Edward Al Elric and his brother, had to bring back his mother. They had all the ingredients to make a human, but the soul, and they don't know what a soul is, and it's something that's 
not measurable. I think that's something this person is talking about. Um, where are we at? All right, the following long quote. Yeah, it's a long quote. I'm, I'm looking at the stuff I'm reading. I'm like, dang, bro. It's all right. We're going to get through this. <clears throat> the following long quote is from Flight to Aries by Arthur and aviator Antonio de Saint Exupéry, the one that wrote The Little Prince. Um, the book is the record of an almost suicidal re. Re, we consent, reconnaissance, re, 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 reconnaissance. Ah, reconnaissance mission. He piloted during the Second World War. A later, which uh, a later such mission claimed his life. He is writing here about flying towards the target through a barrage of deadly flock, flake, flock, flake, F L A K. Somehow those explosions did not really count. They drummed upon the hull of the plane as upon a drum. They pierced my fuel tanks. They might have drummed upon our bellies, but who cares what happens to his body? Extraordinary how little the body matters. There are things we might learn about our bodies in the, the course of everyday living if we're not blind to patent, patent evidence. I used to wonder as I was dressing for a sortie what a man's last moments were like. At each time, life would give the lie to the ghost I invoked. Here I was, now naked and running the gauntlet, unable to so much as to guard my head or shoulder from the crazy blows raining down upon me. I had always assumed that the ordeal, when it came, would be an ordeal that concerned my flesh. I was unavoidable that in thinking about these things, I should adopt the point of view of my body. Like all men, I had given it a good deal of time. I had bathed it, fed it, quenched its thirst. I had said of it, this is me. And now, of a sudden, this illusion vanished. What was my body to me? Your son is in a burning house. Nobody can hold you back. You may burn up. Do you think of that? You are ready to be quit the rags of your body to any man who will take them. The flames of the house of the, uh, the, the diving plane strip away the flesh, but, the, but they strip away the worship of the flesh too. Men cease to be concerned with himself. He recognizes of a sudden what he forms part of. If he would die, he would be he would not be cutting himself off from his kind, but making himself one with them. He would not be losing himself, but finding himself. This that I affirm is not the wishful thinking of a moralist. It is an everyday fact, but a fact. Hidden under the veneer of our everyday illusion, dressing and fretting over the fate that might befall my body. It was impossible for me to see that I was fretting over something absurd. But in, a, in the instant, when you are giving up your body, you learn to your amazement. All men always learn it to their amazement. How little store you set by your body. 
Here in this plane, I say to my body, I don't care a button what becomes of you. There is no hope of surviving this. And yet, I lack for nothing. And yet, I lack for nothing. Okay. Man does not die. Man imagines it's death that he fears. But what he fears is the unforeseen, the explosion. What man fears is himself, not death. There is no death when you meet death. When the body sinks into death, the essence of man is revealed. Man is not a web, a mesh, into, what, into which relationships are tied. Only those relationships matter. The body is an old crock that nobody will miss. I have never known a man to think of himself when dying. Never. Oh, wow. Maybe. I don't know. I don't, maybe. I don't, I don't know. I don't know about the end of that story about people not thinking about themselves. Um, maybe someone has. I, I can't say that's a certain thing, but I do really get the story. And I, that was a long-winded quote, but it was good. I liked it. Uh, fuck with that. It was very, uh, we should read that to a, a martyr or something before they go out and do mass uh, killings or whatever. That sounds awful, but I'm just saying, like, it talks about the body. Not being anything. Um, it's terrible. Lee, just, you know, how words can be used. But anyways. Let's keep any of these commentaries. This version of the story, Stelson's Leap, leaves the modern Jakarta like the hungry tigress and the preacher of patience in a realistic mode. I.e., there is no answer. No healing restoration occurs no god magically descends from the skies to set everything right as does happen in jakarta's like king savi and the hares of sacrifice both of course are equally traditional approaches in the version stelson's leap which appeared in the original edition of the hungry tigers there was a kind of restoration it takes place years later in the mind of one of the other pilots walking on the beach Watching the waves come in and uh, roll out again. The bubbles rising and bursting and reappearing. He has this realization. No effort is wasted. Nothing dies. All things are transformed and all things live forever. Noble deeds, too, are never lost. Though they may seem fruitless, they flower in the depths of time. It has been interesting to tell this modern Jakarta story from both sides of the traditional Jakarta pattern. The oral tradition, of course, allows for such constant experimentation and recreation. The same teller may tell different versions of a story at different times, both as their own interests and understanding change, as well as to meet the varying needs of differing audiences. Woo! Done. Jeez. You know, I know I've done longer episodes, so really, I probably read through that pretty quick, but it felt like forever. It's very long-winded. I need some water. Uh, it was a very good story. I liked it uh, about, again, that whole no deed is ever undone. You know, you think you think it was fruitless. You think, oh, me doing this good deed, nothing comes of it. And it does. Stuff, stuff, stuff come of it, you know. Uh, maybe not in always tangible ways that you see. Uh, but things are happening, you know. Are you saying have that faith? Why not? Uh, this is Reading with Finest. Follow me on Finest Does the Art. 
That's my jazz outro. All right.